You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Best of Mornings with Matt White right here on SEN. On Monday, Matty Johns gave his thoughts on the final weekend of the preseason trials. Thank you, Vanessa. This time next week, we'll be back into the roundup. So Matty John's joining me for the first two hours, nine till 11 on a Monday morning, eight till 10 for our Queensland listeners. But Matty's on the phone right now because you're nice and busy. Morning, Matthew. What are you up to this morning? Matty, how are you, mate? We're, uh, well, out at Homebush. It's, it's that time of the year. What have we got? Uh, two weeks for the season starts. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're interviewing a lot of the sides. Did a few yesterday. Uh, and doing about eight or nine of them today. Ooh. And so, you know, it's this time of the year, um, they're all in a pretty good mood because they're all, all on equal points. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, yeah, but no, they, they were good. You know, yesterday we did the Broncos boys, the Knights, um, uh, a couple of other sides. They all look pretty relaxed, mate. They're all, they're all, in, a, yeah, they're all in a good mood, all ready to go. It'd be good, mate, wouldn't it? Um, because this goes across all sports, but it'd be good if you could sit down the same players that you're speaking to at the moment in 26 mm. or 27 weeks and ask them the same questions and see what the answers are. Because you're right, at the moment, there's no dramas. Nobody's fighting with anyone. There aren't any blues. They haven't lost. There's no problems. However, yeah. things turn around, don't they? Well, I do. And, and, you know, even the coaches at this time of the year, you'll bump them. They'll be relaxed. How are going to go? Yeah, well, I think we're going to have a good season with prepared well. Everyone's, you know, they, everyone believes they're prepared well. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get some teams that get off to a good start. They've won three in a row. Others that have dropped three in a row. And, you know, that, that's, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, Bron- Broncos are a perfect example. You know, I was watching the Broncos play the other night. They've got, an outs- they've got an outstanding pack of forwards, their back line. I mean, you know, watch, watching some of the stuff Selwyn Cobo has been doing is mm. just... Um, you know, I talked to Adam Reynolds yesterday, you know, and he's played a lot of football with GI, and I said, I said, you know, this kid's got the potential to be better than Greg. And he was like, yeah, I guess I know. Um, so the Broncos, I mean, the Broncos have got the talent to force their way into a top-four spot. My... my I find it hard to trust the Broncos at this time of the year. I'll trust them a lot more when they've dropped two or three in a row and they get out of that hole. Mm. Because what's happened the previous few years is they play some great football, things are going great, and all of a sudden they drop a couple and literally they just capitulate. Um, so, there's, yeah, they've got a lot going from The side that we haven't interviewed, but... A couple of sides really impressed me over the course of the weekend. Of course, the Tigers were very, very good. The Sharks are my smoky. Everything I watched them play against Newcastle closely, yep. and their style of football, the way they went about their work, is works exactly for the modern game. They, they were, they, everything they did was so deliberate. And on the weekend, they played the Bulldogs, who the Bulldogs turned up yesterday, and they were they were up for it emotionally. They were enthusiastic, and I was thinking, wow, here we go. 
uh, Viliami Kikau scores first of all, but the Sharks just absorbed that enthusiasm and emotion and then counterpunched and just won the game easily. It was really, really impressive. And, of course, Manly, Matty, yeah. I mean, your, your team. It <laughs> was... Um, I looked at the two teams on paper, right? And, you know, the Roosters picked a very strong side. Manly rests a lot of their stars. And they had a young team. And I'm thinking to myself, because, you know, I've got a vested interest there with Cooper, and I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, I hope this doesn't get too ugly. And it just blew me away. It blew me away. Some of the, the some of the young guys at, at Manly, some of those young outside backs, Ola Kawatu in the back row, they were just, I mean, they, they were so mighty. That was, that was a great performance. You've seen enough teams to know what's a happy squad and what's not. And let's face it, Manly wasn't a happy place at the back end of last year. They weren't alone, but it wasn't a happy joint for a whole number of reasons. Whatever's happening yep. under Anthony Seabold, Shane Flanagan and Jimmy Dimmick under there seems to have got them in a good place. So how much weight do you put into what you saw, not just on the field, but what you saw from the unit? I watched him, Matty, on their reactions to certain plays when they got a penalty go their way and your young bloke was in the thick of it and they made sure that everybody came around, high five, did all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's second nature to teams like Penrith that have grown up playing with each other. So how much do you see in the culture of the place? Oh, you you just see it like um, you recognise that you've been there before. You've been in sides that are just that are flying and they want to be around each other. And uh, then yeah, and I've been in sides where things are tough and there's the blame game going on and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but yeah, they, they Maddie, they looked uh, they looked uh, they, they looked really really good. I, you know, like. You mentioned it before, the uh, the coaching team that uh, they've assembled has been... Is, one second, mate. It's got Munster and some of these blokes here. In there, boys. Yeah, in there. mate, I thought you were supposed to be sober. In there. Okay, there, yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> um, but they're the... Um, yeah, the coaching team has been perfect, right? So they've got Anthony Seabold there. And the criticism with Anthony Seabold at, um, at, uh, at Brisbane was that, you know, he was too technical. He was, you know, you know the players were confused and everything like that, you know. And he, there's no doubt you can see that he's learned from that. But also they've put Shane Flanagan alongside him. Mm. And is very pragmatic. Flano keeps, you know, like yesterday I heard a piece of commentary with Flano. And he said, well, the year we won the competition, he said, I would send my boys out there some weeks with a whole focus on defence because I knew if we, if, we, if, we, if we miss less than 20 tackles, we definitely win. Uh, and that's... So I can see that perfect mix between the science and just knowing what it takes, being very pragmatic, very straightforward, and saying, right, boys, this is what we've got to do, and geodemic. Jimmy Dimmick is just a player's man. Yeah. I, I played alongside Jimmy, been away in a World Cup with him. Jimmy's just a great guy, and players love him. So, they, look, Manly have assembled a very, very good team and a very balanced uh, coaching, coaching team. What did you make of the bonus point system? Because, it, like, Dale Finucane's come out and said, I didn't really know what was going on. Craig Fitzgibbon actually made a very good point. I mean... Focusing on offloads, does that make the game more entertaining than a good pass? So, I mean, you, they threw something at him. I'm not going to be critical of the NRL for having a crack, yeah. but it was all a little bit over the place. 
I I don't mind. I, I like the fact that they've gone out, Maddie, and they've just used this during the preseason to jazz it up a little bit. I, I love the fact they've put prize money up. I would actually, you know, for sides to even put, Dad, put more emphasis on the preseason ties. Um, and put even stronger sides in. I'll be saying that you get 100,000 cash and you get 100,000 off the cap as well. You, you'd be surprised then suddenly how yeah. much strength, you know, not as many stars would be missing. Look, look, this is the great thing about trials and, you know, you get the ability, you know, you can experiment. It became like it became, it became a bit farcical at times because watching the Sharks yesterday, there were young blokes sort of grabbing hold of the opponents and just trying to flick it out the back to get those extra offloads yeah. but yeah like no no harm in that there, there's not two points up for grabs so it was i, I, I was so it was quite funny because i'm sitting on the couch with a young bloke yesterday and he's going oh no oh no they've got to get six more offloads and they turn the ball over and he goes to the ball just hold it kick it into touch so yeah it provided a bit of entertainment <laughs> i reckon that wait, they wait, could... and, then, wait, and i'll say on top of this maddie yeah and then amongst the players <laughs> As full time hit all around the players that they were texting each other, going, "Where's that hundred thousand dollars?" Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I made believe me. I know that question was asked straight away. Where who gets the hundred and how much do we get of it? That's the that's the one. And these are blokes yeah. that are earning a million bucks a year. That they you know you can't take the cash yeah. out of the footballer. Just well, I, I reckon yeah. you could do something, mate. Further to that, if you're going to do that. You could do something like build it into an app. So when you're sitting at home, for instance, you can count it down as you go because if you can get if you can trial it like that and it half works and then you can get the fan invested on the on the lounge, yeah. then it's probably a yes. bit of a win. Matty, look, trial, trial games, look, we started with the, the sevens years ago. It was all about the fans. It was fantastic. They loved it. We moved to the nines, the same. Look at the all-stars. Uh, and anything you can do in the trial. Look, yeah, trials are about just blowing out the cobwebs and and... And I think it's trials are as important to the players as they are for the coaches. And the Tigers are the best example of that. Like the Tigers were diabolical against the Warriors, but you just knew that it gave food for thought to Tim Sheens. And Sheens is a, is a genius at recognising um, what he needs to do with the football side and putting a style and, and, and putting in place a style which suits that side. And, you know, that, that that was the importance of a trial game. You know, if the Tigers don't trial, suddenly that perform that that first trial performance is round one, right? And it, so it's an it is a necessary evil. You you risk injury, but it, it's so important. They really, I was really impressed by the Tigers because they looked like a Tim Sheen's coach side. Is and the bloke I highlight is David Clemmer, right? Yep. Clem did more passing yesterday and did more sleight of hand than I've ever seen in his career. Catching the ball, dropping blokes on the inside of him, dumbing the bloke on the inside, feeding Adam Dewey. Then other times doing his bread and butter, just bending the line back. So they looked like very much like a Tim Sheen's coach side yesterday. It just shows, Matty, is that most sides are going to improve. Right. It, that you know, but I but I do lock in, barring a, a catastrophe or uh, injury, I do lock in about six sides that'll be there. Yeah. So I tell you, there's going to be there's going to be some hot competition for those last two spots. Yeah, I, I reckon we got a few questions out of the trials, which is good we, because we don't know the answers, and that's kind of what you want. No, I'm with you now. I'm starting to think. 
geez, what does my top eight look like? Even though they're trials, but yeah. but what does it look like? Because some of those teams have got you thinking. Just a final question for you because you got a bolt. You mentioned the word importance of, of trial matches. What about the importance that was attached to St Helens winning that World Club Challenge and their reaction to beating Penrith? It, I just thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was fantastic for the game. I thought it was so good because it. Um, like the English game, um, it, it needed that result. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like you know, there's been there's a lot of criticism. You know, of Gus saying you know, like, you know, they'll be lapped at half time. Yeah, that's probably that, that's too far. But did I give St Helens a chance? No, I didn't. I, particularly going out and playing Penrith at Penrith, but they just dug in. They, they were great. I think what helped them a little bit was that cyclone that basically hit just before the start of the game. You know, it was very English conditions. But they, 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 were, they were terrific. They were great. And you know, as is the, na- the nature of the NRL, there would have been a lot of clubs and scouts having a look at that St Helens team. Jack Wellsby will be the one. Yeah. They're the one they go after. The young fullback Warmsley, the front rower, is you know he is. He's in the top front rowers and top five front rowers in the game. I know Melbourne had a big play at him a few years ago, but he's a he's a he's a, a Lancashire lad at heart. He didn't want to leave there, He'll stay there. But I reckon there'll be one or two clubs that will have another crack at him. But mate, good on St Helens. It was uh, they, they were fantastic, and the scenes after the game. You know, they're, they're, they're travelling fans, everything. It was it was really, really good to watch. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Good on you, mate. Uh, I'll speak to you Matty, next week. We'll do the roundup next Monday morning. Matty, I apologise not being there. I'll be there next week, pal. See you then. Matthew Johns joining us uh, out there for Fox Sports, interviewing players left, right and centre. So the roundup coming your way with uh, Matty next Monday morning. So what did you take in from all that? I mean, Jack Wellsby is an out-and-out star. Have you got a club for him? Could you think of a club that would be the good fit right now for somebody like Wellsby? And are you happy? Here's one for you that's just, I I posed this last week or the week before. The World Club Challenge is fantastic. Should it be standalone? Did it get a little bit lost in the preseason challenge or are you okay with that? Because I think the results certainly helped and the way that it finished, no doubt helped. But the World Club Challenge kind of got in the mix of the preseason challenge where the Charity Shield was living as well and the 100 grand and the bonus points and all that kind of stuff. We, we got a lot out of the last couple of weeks, no doubt about it. And it certainly wasn't boring and it did pose a lot of those questions about our top eight. And that's what we want. We want, it, we want the unknown heading into the season. But the World Club Challenge, should it be a standout? Should it start? Um, the preseason, how do we make it fit? Is there a way that you can make it better? 0457 736 736. I've got to say this text uh, message machine is going into meltdown about Australia v India. Give me your thoughts on the plan that just, uh, well, it spectacularly back uh, backflipped on Australia, didn't it? It just did not work. To try and sweep their way to victory, they swept their way to trouble. Back after this. NRL's head of football, Graham Annesley, spoke with Maddie on the success of the preseason challenge. Thank you, Vanessa. Nine days until the start of the NRL season proper off the back of a pretty fascinating two-week preseason challenge. On the line is the NRL head of football, Graham Annesley, who joins us for the first time this year. G'day, Graham. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for your time this morning, and I, I hope that it's going to be a regular chat that we have. Uh, I was saying at the very top of the show, 
it's it's an unusual start to the season in your world because there doesn't seem to be a lot of drama around. Have you have you noticed <laughs> in your world, right? I'm just saying in your world what you're in what you're in control of. Have you felt that? Yeah, that's, well, yeah. Look, it's been pretty smooth. I've got to say. I mean, although it's a bit like the calm before the storm in many cases. I'm sure we're uh, not that far away from uh, controversy and yeah. all the usual issues that we have to deal with. Uh, that's the nature of our game because uh, many people see things differently. But uh, yeah, it has been uh, smooth. We've uh, we've had a good review at the end of last season. We've uh, liaised with all of the stakeholders. Uh, overwhelming. Uh, response was that we should not change too much in the game that it's in pretty good shape and the commission have responded to that and we've just made some minor tweaks going into the new season do you think that there's a little bit of uh, the feedback around that graham on um because there's been sort of okay the nrl's knee jerk in its response they, they make decisions on the run was there a little bit of that or do you think that you've possibly found a bit of a sweet spot in in what you don't need to change yeah, I think there's a. Uh, it's more the latter than the former, right? You know, obviously, what has happened over the last few years with COVID meant that we had to do a lot of things differently. You know, we we did have to make decisions on the run. Uh, you know, packing up the entire competition and moving it to Queensland, uh, suspending it when COVID first broke out, and then uh, having to make a plan very quickly about how we got back on the field to keep the game alive financially. Uh, all those things, uh, you know, were decisions that had to be made on the run. Uh, because we were experiencing in an environment that no one had ever been through before. Uh, so that did give us the opportunity to make some other changes. It gave us the opportunity, to, for example, to go back to one referee. It gave us the opportunity to put, bring in uh, a raft of rule changes to try and make the game more exciting uh, for our broadcasters and our fans who watch the game, either live or on TV. So uh, all of those things have played into that. But I think we have hit that uh, sweet spot that you mentioned. Uh, the game... Uh, you know, has never been more popular, and uh, and I think everyone wants to see a period of stability now, where everyone can adjust to the changes that have happened, thick and fast, over the last few years. The newest thing that we've seen is that pre-season challenge. We discussed this at length on my program yesterday, and had a look at the whys and what fors. What do you think you can do better with the pre-season challenge next time around? Well, I think it's been an outstanding success. I mean, at the end of the day, these are trial matches. Clubs use these trials to ch- to tune up for the uh, season itself. Uh, but we've put a lot of interest into the trials. Uh, they've all been televised uh, on Fox Sports. And uh, so everyone, all the fans have had an opportunity to see their, their teams preparing for the new season. But we've also put some interest into it, into it with... Uh, um, playing for money, so there was $100,000 up for grabs. Uh, there We had to come up with an innovative scoring system because it only ran for two weeks uh, and I think that worked really well. I mean, it went re- literally down to the wire and was ultimately only won by one point. Uh, so all of those things, I think, have worked well. We had St Helens, of course, over here for the World Club Challenge, which, uh, you know, we, have, we guess there's been World Club Challenges held in Australia before, but they've never formed part of a tournament uh, at the uh, in the opening to the season. So uh, can things be better? Yeah, they can always be better. Um, so, we, you know, we'll look at what's happened over the last couple of weeks and, and talk to the club some more, get some feedback, and, uh, and see if we can't even make it better next year. Could we streamline the count of the offloads, for instance, because that's what it came down to, but we had broadcasters with their numbers and you your stats guys with with your numbers is there a way that we can if you're going to go down that road again could we amalgamate those so at least we know what the number is we don't have to wait around till we get the clarification 
Yeah, look, I think there's a little bit of confusion about that over the over the two weeks, and you know, I'm sure we can do that a little bit better. But you know, the NRL stats uh, is the official stats of the game. Uh, broadcasters can at times, well, in fact, do their own stats. Uh, but it's always going to be based on the official NRL stats uh, provider. And uh, I get, think getting those coordinated uh, more quickly uh, is uh, it would be a great thing so that we do know. Now, of course, over two weeks, uh, as we said, we you know, you're not necessarily going to get... It's not going to come down to the last game of those two weeks on all occasions. So um, there's a bit of a... There can be a bit of an anticlimax to the, in the end of those two weeks. But again, we have to remember the purpose... Uh, we have to remember that teams are playing for points and uh, and sometimes we'll treat it differently to others. I've got one text here, Graham, that, that asks a, a question that I think I know the answer to, but why the weekly break or the week break between this and the start of the NRL? Have you ever been tempted to continue the role, the momentum from trial matches pre-season into the season proper? Look, I, I, that hasn't been discussed in any at any great length. I mean, it's traditional in our game that we do have a break after the pre-season before we start the competition. And I think that's primarily because we do play Thursday to Sunday. Uh, and, uh, you know, coming off the back of the pre-season, uh, if we were... To, Due to start, for example, is Thursday. It's a very quick turnaround for clubs that uh, have played the weekend before. Now, I know that happens week in and week out throughout the season, but uh, it is a, a chance for teams to uh, regather, regroup, have a look at what's happened across the trials, and then make sure that they're in the best possible shape to start the uh, the season itself. So uh, the break has been a tradition. Uh, it, do we absolutely have to have a break? No, of course not. We could have kept going, but uh, I, I, there are no plans that I'm aware of to change. What about the World Club Challenge? I mean, it was an outstanding success, an unbelievable game, but it it still was in within the framework of the preseason challenge. Is there any way? Obviously, we've we've got it back now, but is there any way of making that a standalone event next time around? Uh, well, it'll, it'll depend. I mean, it's a year-to-year proposition. I mean, we have to negotiate with the Super League. We have to negotiate with the with the winners of their competition. And of course, uh, in both comp- cases, we don't know who's won the competition until much later in the year. So there's always a bit of a uh, uh, short turnaround in terms of putting that game together. Uh, but a lot will depend on uh, you know what sort of format we got run with next season for the pre-season. Whether we just repeat the, the format that we've had this year. Uh, whether the English team's interested in coming here. Whether the Australian premiers or the NRL premiers uh, have any interest in going back and playing in the UK. We have to remember that at the moment we've got an odd number of teams. So uh, either a team going to the UK from Australia or reverse, as we've just seen with St Helens coming to Australia, uh, gives us the, that even number of teams and allows us to play uh, all 18 teams in an even competition so over two weeks so that we don't have someone with a bye. Mm. All right, so we look ahead to the season uh, in nine days' time. And as I mentioned, no big changes, but amendments for the rules. So out of the rules that you've amended, the grounding the ball rule, and I ran through these a little bit earlier, the operation of the 18th player, bunker in foul play intervention. We've got the captain's challenge, a few amendments there. Offside infringements at the scrums, um, the 10-metre compliance in general play and the adjudication of completed tackles. What do you think was the What do you think was the key for you to to hit and to get right? What What was the biggest issue facing you? Do you think to amend? Well, I, I think uh, the offside infringements uh, and the compliance with the uh, with the ten meter rule is yeah. is always going to be 
the biggest challenge in our game. I mean, when you think about the number of play the balls that we have in every game, you know, there's uh, several hundred and uh, across the course of the game that has the biggest impact. So teams are, are always trying to win the ruck. They're always trying to win the play the ball and uh, and dominate in that area. So, uh, and compliance in terms of trying to shut teams down when they're in possession, when teams are defending, uh, is always a challenge for referees. And in our game... I don't think anyone realistically expects that there'll be uh, all defenders uh, in line with or behind the referee uh, when uh, the ball is played in each ruck. Uh, it's just simply not possible in some cases for players to get back. Some players are retreating. Some players are in front of the referees uh, in an offside position and the play might go to the other side of the field and the referee decides not to act on it at that particular point in time. So there's a lot of discretion in terms of the uh, uh, controlling the 10 metres and I think uh, the, the tweak that we've made is just to try and get you know that additional bit of distance between the teams so that the attacking team has the opportunity to do something with the ball without making a major change requiring players to be uh, to have both feet back in line with or behind the referee uh, is, is a, a relatively minor one that most people watching games won't even realise uh, but it's just that opportunity to have that extra split second of time for the attacking team. Is there one on-field issue that worries you more than others leading into this season? <laughs> um, no, not not uh, not nothing not yet. that stands out. <laughs> um, um, because you know it's always very much a mixed bag. Uh, there's always controversy around either refereeing decisions or decisions of the match review committee, uh, decisions that are made at judiciary hearings, uh, medical decisions that are made. Uh, you know where the players are uh, required to sit out the rest of the game because of head injuries. All of these kind of fall under my area of responsibility. And in many cases, uh, as I mentioned at the very start of this conversation, Matt, people have different views on these matters. It doesn't mean that they're that they are necessarily right or wrong. Uh, it all comes down to uh, it's all in the eye of the beholder in many cases, particularly in very close decisions. Uh, but... You know, I would like to think that we can probably uh, get through the season with as little controversy as possible. But you know, I'm realistic enough to know that uh, that our game uh, will always have controversy. There will always be differences of opinion, and uh, what we have to try and hope and strive for is to ensure as much as possible that uh, unquestionable errors that are made are minimised as much as possible. Possible. And funnily enough, that you know, whilst it's the headache, it's what makes the game go round, and and you know that better than most. Are the Monday afternoon briefings back? Yeah, we'll be back. Uh, you know, we might uh, try and just uh, shake that up a little bit, but uh, it'll we'll still be dealing with the issues out of the, uh, the weekend. We might try and get a little bit more proactive with some of the uh, the trends and things that are happening in the game. But uh, yeah, we'll be back on Monday afternoons, and I, I think it's an important part of the transparency of our game, whilst. We will we'll get errors, and you know there are errors made in every game. There are errors made by players. There are errors made by match officials. I think it's important that uh, that we put our hand up and we acknowledge those. And then in, in in cases where we think, uh, for example, match officials or the match review committee have been criticised unfairly, uh, it's also important that we come out and defend those positions. Uh, but we have to do that openly and honestly, and um, and not defend just for the sake of defending. Uh, and uh, and acknowledge where errors have been made. So we'll continue to do that. And I think it's important feedback for the fans. Uh, you know, there are uh, many people that, that look for that information and um, we'll continue to provide it.
It's a long season ahead, but you sound as though you're ready to rumble, Graham. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Pat. The NRL's head of football, Graham Annesley, there. So we've covered a fair bit of ground, a fair bit of ground. Those Monday afternoon briefings, um, like I say, you know, they are the, the headaches that will come up through the season, funnily enough, is what makes the game go round in many, many ways. But the fact that we don't have any major changes, no new rule changes for 2023, do you think that's a good thing? Have you had a look at the amendments for the season? I've stepped my way through them. I'm happy to expand on any of those. Um, But do you think that that sort of says that situation's a little bit calmer than in the last couple of years? There's still going to be a lot going on. And there's no point us having the discussion around the CBA, et cetera, with Graham. That's not his role. That's not his department. That's being looked after. And there's talk around that Peter Volandis has stepped in there. And my first reaction to that is, you know what? I reckon we're close. I reckon we're close to something. Um, If the big dog's coming in at the end, that means that the bone's ready to be chewed. So I reckon that we're going to get close to that. But when it looks, when you look at the operational side of it, at the refereeing side of it, at the adjudication side of it, that's Graham's arena. And I appreciate his time this morning. 0457 736 736 is the text line. Uh, Hit us up with any of your thoughts after this. Andrew Webster revealed the latest with the Dragons' future coaching options after Anthony Griffin. Thank you, Vanessa. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. that open line. If you'd like to call, Webby is with us for the next 15 minutes uh, and then you get back to your real job. Oh, sorry, your day job. Uh, the Dragons, <laughs> the Dragons, my friend. So we posed at the very top here about Anthony Griffin under pressure. Yes, I think that's, that's an answer. Have you ever been to the Winning Post Motel in Mudgee? No. Hmm. The scene of the 6am scuffle. Was it? No, it was a verbal argument. Yes, a minor scuffle. It was a verbal argument. Yeah. Last time I looked, most arguments were verbal. Verbal. Well, they're just doing like, what's a a non-verbal argument? (laughs) One that you can't hear. (laughs) Okay, this is the sound of a non-verbal argument. Ready? That's it. (laughs) it. Look, it's not the worst crime in the world. It's not, you know... The rest of the squad behaved well. Um, they were in bed by 2am. 2, 2 I'm more, more worried about how they played, to be honest. Yeah. The, the, the way they played in that charity shield was diabolical. In terms of the, the fight, no, they've been fine, no suspension, which I don't think it should have been. But it's just these things for a losing football team look far worse than they really are. But as I said, I, I thought the most the, – the telling – uh, comment of the whole weekend for me was when on Fox Sports, uh, the, the, the ha- halftime report coming out of the Dragon Sheds was from Anthony Griffin telling his players, you don't want it enough. You're not, you don't want it anywhere near as much as they do. It's February. Mm. If they're not wanting it in February, how the hell are they going to want it in And it's a charity September? shield. I know, but they should at least be, you know, that, that's not, not the sign you want in your last trial match. Um, but Anthony Griffin surely has to ask if they're not if they don't want it more than why. You know why is that the case? Mm. So I just think it's been endemic in the poor old Dragons for the last couple of years. Even his uh, his greatest supporters seem to think that you know he he'll be possibly the first coach sacked. Then then again, the last two seasons Anthony Griffin has started with this spectre about his his uh, his position. And and they've started quite well. 
The problem is after Origin, they just seem to, to fade away. Uh, but but they've started the last couple of seasons quite well, but I don't think that was a particularly good sign out of the charity shield. I was really concerned about Tyrell Sloan um, in tears because of, like, to me that just shows you how much pressure is on that kid. And also, I feel, I feel, I do empathise for, for Anthony Griffin in a lot of respects. Like, it, it just through virtue of, of Ramsey's injury and, and what's come through, He's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to persist with that 20-year-old who was still so emotionally fragile after a charity shield loss, Mm. and the season hasn't even started. So I I think that's a really worrying sign. Obviously, they lost Amon indefinitely as he faces those police charges. So he's had to deal with a hell of a lot more than most other coaches going into the season. The question is, if not Anthony Griffin, then who? who? So what's the answer? I know for a fact there is... um, there is interest at a board level in Jason Riles, who has who has been an assistant coach to Craig Bellamy, an assistant coach to Eddie Jones, and an assistant coach to Trent Robinson. He's been doing it for 10 years. He's ripe for the job. He has been linked to the Melbourne job, if it came up, uh, and de- depending on what Craig Bellamy does. I don't know if he'd be... I don't know if he'd be... If he'd have the... Uh, have the fortitude to um, to go to the Dragons in their current state because it's a big, big job to, to rebuild them. But Wollongong Jr. played a lot of football there, was a, a proud Dragons uh, a player for a lot of years. He'd, he'd be great. There's a real big rap on him. I think he's more like a Craig Fitzgibbon than an Adam, Adam O'Brien. Um, I think he's been really sitting there waiting and, Waiting and eyeing off um, the best positions that are that are going to come up. So I reckon Rollsy wouldn't be the worst decision. If not, I know there's other support for maybe a Hornby slash Dean Young combination because they've both been, again, Premiership winning players at the club mm. and 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 more of a, a link to to their, their current success that they had ten years ago, obviously when they won the comp. Um, so there's yeah that that's an option as well. But other than that, what do you do? You'd have to go through uh, you'd have to go through you know various well I, I, various you know I, recycled coaches. On well, the you know market. what I want to ask you. So remember last year when the when the coaches dis, uh, discussion came up, and it's going to come up again, and it will probably come up for Anthony Griffin, right? So there was always the go tos at, at the start of the season. Those that didn't have a job, those that were in the frame, Shane Flanagan. Anthony Seabold wasn't really discussed. Um, Cameron Serraldo, we didn't know his position. We didn't know Andrew Webster's position. So there were the, the the obvious names just kept coming back and back and back. They're all locked in, essentially. I mean, Flanagan's got an assistant job now. Seabold's got a head coaching job. Webster's got a head coaching job. Serraldo's got a head coaching job. So <clears throat> regardless of who we'll be talking about to lose their job, because that's just, you know, the, the, the endless fodder that will start, what's the list this year? What's the go-to list this year? Riles is on that list for sure. Mm. Is Des Hasler on that list? Are you talking about the Dragons or just across the board? I'm just talking about across the board. Oh, Hasler for sure. Because every time a job came up last year, there was four or five go-tos, wasn't there? Yeah. Remember we had the position vacant sign swinging at three clubs for a while there? We spoke about that last year. And then the job started to get filled. So next time we have the discussion of who's going, whose coach is on the line, who will be on that list? Riles, Hasler, Hasler, 
I mean, do you put Shane Flanagan there? Because yeah, you do. he's certainly in that position where Manly, he, they know if he gets a job, he's moving on. Yep. So Flanagan, do we have any other obvious choices that we're that we're missing out on? I think I think Young and Hornby would be perfect. Dean Young. I think they yep. they uh, they'd be good for for the Dragons. I think they they see that as an option. Some do at the club. Yep. The, Walker, the that, Walker Brothers. The Walker Brothers, as always. <laughs> they always jump up. It's an interesting one. So if you've got that uh, in your head, let us know. Not so much coach under pressure, but when we just start to discuss those coaches who could possibly start to take jobs if they become available, what's the list for 2023? Very different to what it was at the start of 2022. And Supercars driver David Reynolds joined the show following their season launch earlier this week. Supercar season gets underway very soon with the first event at Newcastle. But as I mentioned, the testing uh, run-up at Sydney Motorsport Park has been really interesting. Great to see the Gen 3 cars hit the track, but there's going to be a fair bit of debate. On the line, piloting a Ford Mustang for Penrite Racing again this season. 2017 Bathurst champion David Reynolds joins us. G'day, David. Hey, Matty. How's it going? Good. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the good stuff first of all, because gee, it was good to see those cars out there. It's always interesting when supercars gives birth to a new era, and that's what happens. So, talk to me about the cars themselves, the flames coming back out, the entire difference of Mustang v Camaro this year. Yeah, it's um, a completely new car where we're sort of getting getting the hang of and. You know, any anytime supercars do something like drastically like this, it's really cool for the sport because it you know mixes up the result. You know, there's new, there's different teams that have different you know styles of how they set up the car, so they might they might get on a setup early. But when you just look at the cars for a spectator point of view, they look a heap better. They're much slower, much wider, and they bloody sound amazing. They sound way better than last year's cars. So yeah, we just got to learn how to drive them. They're not the funnest things to drive. It's like they've <laughs> You know, they've taken all the aero off, so they've wind the clock back 20 years on that. But, um, yeah, there's, there's still a lot to learn about them. So you've just given us a really good view of the cars, and that's what I wanted to ask you about, because sometimes the changes, Davey, are subtle. You, you've really got to stick your head in and have a good look around. But these cars look yeah. different, sound different, feel different. And obviously, from your perspective, so why are they so hard? What's the hard part to drive about your car? Well, like, you know, over the last 10 years, we've sort of got more aerodynamics, more aero, more aero over the years, and now they've just basically taken it all away from us. And, you know, so when we go to turn into a corner, the car's moving around the rear. Um, it almost wants to spin you out of control all the time. So during the race, I assume when we start racing these cars, there'll be a lot more mistakes from drivers when their tyres get a bit fried, um, and they're just, like, really hard, intense cars to drive. So yeah, it's um it's going to be a much better spectacle, I think. So you're going to have to work harder, mate. You're going to have to you're going to have to sharpen up your skills. And it, what does it mean for yep. a driver in what you've got oh. to do? Because if if you came to me, I'm I'm guaranteeing if I was your team boss, you would come to me after every session and say, "Give me more aero and give me more grip." And if you've got less of the above, then what do you have to do to counteract that? <laughs> yeah, well, we're still working that part out. <laughs> I still don't know. <laughs> and even in the old car, you always want more grip and more aero and everything. So the whole thing of motor racing is you build the best and fastest car your team can build. And then you employ fast drivers like myself, hopefully, that can drive it to the limit. And that's how, what wins, wins your races. 
but generally 90% of the job is done by our car itself. It's not really done by the driver, it's done by the team in the car. So you know, it's a much bigger team sport than anyone could ever ever think about. But then what do you have to so, change, right. mate? Do you, do you have to brake later? Do you have to have, be on the throttle more? Do you have to adjust your mindset? Do you have to be fitter? What is it? Uh, so, yeah, it's... Um, Motor racing's pretty simple in my regard. Try and break as late as you can, carry as much corner speed as you can, and get out of the corner as fast as you can. Um, but there's obviously, you know, physics and limitations that won't let you do that. One being uh, mental. So when you're going flat out into a corner, um, breaking late's a bit of a challenge mentally to do because anyone can break early, but then you're, just, you're sort of losing time. So you know, if you combat your fears in the car, you break later. Um, it's harder to do. The car moves around more. Doesn't really like it. And then you're trying to slow the car up to get the best exit or get the best entry and exit out of the corner. So, you know that that entails the setup of the car, which you know it's there's a million and there's you know 50 million types of different setups you can run in a car. So, selecting the best one for yourself on the track and the tire you're on, it's um it's a real art and science to it. It's it's really really difficult. So you're in a Mustang, which means that you're down the back of the bus when you look at the timesheets, which means that there's <laughs> which means that there's a blue on already. There's a fight on already. So the Camaros come out, they set the top eight fastest times in the afternoon session. In fact, there were only there was only Todd Hazelwood, the only Ford in the top twelve, and you finished a little bit further down. So now what's yeah. going to happen for our listeners who aren't tuned into supercars is they're going to go out and try and work out a way to get parity, which is an ugly word because it's just so technical. But give us the explanation yeah. of how you try and make now the Mustang be up near the same times as the Camaro because it's meant to be a parity sport. It's meant to be equal footing, even though there's two different manufacturers. It, it really it's It's supposed to be... Um... It's supposed to be a paratized sport, like a one sort of one make formula that everyone can follow, that you know everyone can win on their day if they, you know, deliver a proper car and drive the car. Okay, but right now it stands, we don't have that at all. We've got, you know, two manufacturers, um, the Chev and our Ford cars, and the Ford cars are probably about six to eight tenths slower. Which in our game, that is literally a different sport. You might as well not compete with these other people because you can't compete with them. You know, with that that deficit of time it's like if you were to play a team in nrl and the other team's allowed to take drugs and you weren't allowed to take drugs you know 99 percent of the time the blokes that are taking drugs are probably going to win because they'll be fitter and stronger and you know do everything better so that's basically what we're fighting against we're fighting against um another car that you know with one arm tied behind our back mm. it's literally you know, it's going to be a very very difficult year but as long as i've been in this sport there's always been some sort of you know, difference within the cars. Um, and it's only really been on my side of the fence where it's actually helped me maybe twice in my life. And that was 2015 when they built the FGX. Yep. And then 2018 when they built the Commodore ZB. Every other time, I think I've always been on the losing side. So <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not, it's really not a fun time when there's a massive, massive deficit like this. Um, you know, that is, that is huge. Like, when we, we went into the week, into that test day, and we assumed they were about a second faster, um, but the supercars gave us a bigger restrictor so we could have a bit more engine speed, and they also took a little bit of gear cut time out of the, the, the Camaro, which slows them down down the straight. So e- trying to equal the difference out, but that only helped about two or three tenths of a second, so there's still like six to you know seven tenths of a second that 
we're missing. Mm. So hopefully they've got two weeks to sort it out. Otherwise, it's going to be a pretty dismal year for us. It's good. And it's going to be ugly at Newcastle if they don't sort it out. And we should point out, David, with the legal people listening, you're not suggesting the Camaros are, are on steroids, right? You're just pointing out the no, analogy no, no. and painting <laughs> painting the picture for us. Yeah, now, exactly. It's, it's nothing to do with that. It's just about the homologation process. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the car has... The two cars have a different engine and different body. So even though everything else is fundamentally the same, they're the two biggest components in our sport. It's obviously engine and the body shape, how it cuts through the air and makes it aerodynamics. It's obviously a completely different car to car. And here's the interesting thing, and I want to know if you've ever done one of these, the straight line speed evaluation. So essentially what what they'll do is they'll go, I'm, I'm assuming, to Avalon Airport down there. They'll find an airport. They'll put the Mustang and the and the Camaro side by side. They will race them down, or they'll do them individually. You'll hit, say, what, two hundred fifty k's, and then you'll take your foot off the accelerator and see where you're going to finish without any braking. That's that's the old way of doing the evaluation, and then you can adjust certain parts of the car just in terms of aerodynamics. Have you ever done a, a, an evaluation like that? And what benefit do you reckon they get out of it? And how weird is that? It's a very, very strange time. I did the FGX back in 2015, started 2015, and it was the most boring five days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so you start off at 40, you start off at 40 k's, yeah. like going slowly on them, and that sort of gets your baseline um, aerodynamic position in the car with all the damper pots and everything, and then you speed up to 200 k's an hour, hold 200 k's an hour for a little bit, which gets all your aerodynamic numbers with the damper pot, and then you literally push, push the clutch in and then you coast down to 40Ks again, which that gives you your drag numbers. So wow. it's a sort of okay way to do it, but it's not super accurate. And that implies all the, the fallacies, I suppose, we have with our sport that you know, this car has this, this car has that, and the car does that. It's it's not really the – it's the cheapest way to do it, but it's not the best way. The Jeez. best way to do it is in a wind tunnel. I've got Formula 1 news, but they are very expensive, and I don't think there's one in Australia. That process goes against everything – that is in built into you as a race car driver. You drive a rent a car more aggressive than that. All right, mate, I'm going to let you go just beforehand. What's what else is going on in your world? How's life as a dad? Yeah, life as a dad's the best thing I've ever done in my life. I highly recommend it. Um, we've got another one due in about eight weeks. So yeah, hopefully it doesn't come on race weekend. Otherwise <laughs> my life's going to be even more hell. But I can't wait for it. It's going to be unreal. All right. Good luck for the season ahead, mate. Thanks, Matty. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another edition of The Best of Mornings with Matt White. Matt White and Matty Johns will be back Monday morning from 9am for the Roundup. Thanks and have a great weekend.